So, uh, we're, we're talking about a heart like his. What's, what's it like to have a heart like God? And what does that mean? Because we see that David did, uh, and yet David still had some struggles. You know, where he had a heart like God, but he still messed up because he wasn't perfect yet. And, and I've noticed neither are we, right? We have struggles. So how do we deal with that? How do we, how do we develop a heart like, like the Lord's? How do we grow and mature in this area? So today I want to talk about when the palace is the pits. What do you do when where you are is not where you thought you would be? You know, it's like where the job you're in is not the job you want or where you want to end up. Uh, the you know, the marriage you're in is not really the marriage you want. I'm not saying to go to another one like a new job, <laughs> but but you want it to change. You realize there's something that needs to change. You're you're miserable. Or, or, or you thought you were going to stay married and now you're single. You're not where you thought you would be. And this happens in our life a lot. It happens where we, we're not, we had expectations, we had hopes, we have dreams, we have a desire, we have vision, we want to move up. Uh, we want to, you know, we expect to get the transfer. We expect things to go. They don't always go the way we thought they would go. You don't always get into the college you think you're going to get into. You don't, you don't always, uh, it just doesn't always work out. So what do you do when what you think is going to be the palace ends up being the pits? And that's what happens with David in this beginning process. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. When Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, then Samuel took the horn of oil, not when. Then Samuel took the horn of when. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. And I'm not on any kind of medication. So if I say anything weird, it's just me being normal. Okay? I mean, just Tylenol. Ibuprofen. Stuff like that. So, so David is chosen among his other six brothers, the seventh, the youngest, he's chosen to be the king of Israel. You know, Samuel takes out this big, <laughs> you know, quart of oil and pours it over his head, anointing oil. And then that's it. He, he goes back home to Ramah and David goes back to watching the sheep and his brothers are like, what? Baby brothers is anointed to be king? And that, you know, your family usually doesn't buy it right away. And uh, they didn't buy it. But there's something interesting that happens with David. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose and went to Ramah. So Samuel went back home, David went back to tend the sheep, but something happened that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David mightily. Now, we see this in the Old Testament. I want you to think about this. In the Old Testament, in the thousands of years that's represented from, from Genesis to Malachi, in the thousands of years, you know, 2,500 years or so, that's, that's represented in that period of time, there's only about 100 people that the Bible describes as the Holy Spirit being upon them or on them. And the Spirit of God came upon people for a specific 
purpose for a moment, for a time. David, because he was king. Prophets, because they were prophets. Uh, And even the prophets, often the Spirit of God wasn't on them all the time, but would come upon them when they would prophesy. So one thing that's different in the New Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't live, died our death, and then was resurrected to the Father. He said, the reason I'm going away, he says, it's better for me to go away because I'm going to send back to you the Holy Spirit. When I ascend to the Father, I'm going to send, I'm going to send back to you the Holy Spirit. So now, as you and I, as believers, New Testament believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, every believer receives the Holy Spirit in the same way that David received the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 10. But if, the, if, but if Christ is in you, so if, you're, if Christ is in you, if you're a believer, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've been birthed into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Even though, you know, your body's decaying. I've been aware of that this week for sure. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. So He says, actually, eventually, the Spirit is going to win and your dying body is actually going to become an immortal body because by the Spirit of God. And so you're going to be changed. But you have the Spirit of God in you. As a New Testament believer, we have the Spirit of God always in us and always available to us. Ephesians 5.17 says, so then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord, the Lord is, and don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. And we all know what dissipation means. Don't we? No, no we don't, do we? It's foolishness. So don't get drunk with wine, because that's foolishness. But be filled with the Spirit. So Paul emphasizes in Ephesians that the filling of the Spirit, although we have the Spirit, that we need to be continually filled because we leak, because life takes it out of us. We use it up. And there is a supply. So we need to be always going to the Lord, although we have the Spirit, we need to always be going to the Lord and asking and allowing him to refill our cup. How does he do that? Well, he does it in a lot of different ways. He does it by the word of God. We, we read the word of God and the spirit of God quickens truth to our heart. And we're, we're, we're refilled. We come together in community. And we're, our spirit is refreshed by one another. We come together in worship. I mean, worship is one, I mean, this, this community worship thing is one of the things that we do that is reminiscent of what we're going to do in heaven. You can worship in your car by yourself. Absolutely. I do it all the time. You can do that. But this, this gathering around the throne of God as the people of God gather together is unique in that it is reminiscent of how we will worship in heaven, in community. And so when we come together and worship in community, the Spirit of God builds us up. So 
So Paul says you need to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. And it's interesting, then after he talks about being filled with the Spirit, then he goes right into talking about marriage and family and life instruction and how to deal with problems. And it's a reality. He said, because why do we need the Spirit of God? We need the Spirit of God to help us navigate life. Jesus wants you to be able, by the Spirit of God, to deal with your life spiritually and not just mentally and emotionally. He wants you to face your challenges, because anybody here got any challenges? Right. He wants us to be able to face our challenges by the Spirit of God, by the strength that the Spirit of God gives. Verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Which makes me want to say, What? Right? An evil spirit from God? That doesn't make you just going to read that and say, okay, I'm fine with that. What's that about? I mean, how, how, how is it an evil spirit from God? Here, here's one of the things you got to realize. When God pulls back his hand of protection... We are at the mercy of the enemy of our souls. We don't, so, we don't want that, so we don't want that to happen. There's a couple of verses I think might give us insight. See, God will even use evil to bring us back to him. Or he'll use what the enemy is going to try to do in our life to draw us to himself. God doesn't have to cause it. He just allows it. In Luke chapter 22, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, back before Christ is crucified. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus tells them some stuff. He says, okay, Satan has asked. To cause you all to fail, to run away. And he says, all of you, all of you. And what happens? What happens to all of them? When they come to get Jesus, they all run away. But he said, but I've prayed for you, for you, Peter, that when you've turned back, when you, when you realize your failure and you realize that you failed, you'll turn back in repentance and then you'll help the others that have run away and hid. I've prayed for you. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, what what I think is interesting is that Satan asked for permission to sift him. And Jesus said, okay. You get that? Are y'all awake? It's am I or am I dreaming this or something? Why why? Because Peter 
needed to learn to be less reliant on his own bluster and strength. I mean, he's, he was quick with, I got this, I can handle this. Jesus says, no, Peter, I'm praying for you that your failure, you're going to fail, but that your failure won't be fatal or final. You're going to fail. But I'm praying for you in this failure when, that you'll realize how weak you are and you'll become more dependent upon me. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 5. Now, this, this is the, toward the end of his life. Peter stood strong the rest of his life. He was, church tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down, probably by Nero for his faith. Because, and he, upside down because he requested to be crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. And so church history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. So he, he, he was strong to the end. 1 Peter 5, 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So let me, hey, let me tell you about a time I learned this lesson about how God uh, opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. Have you learned that lesson? When a person rebels against God and against correction from God, God allows evil to get their attention, to corral us in because we're not listening. You ever have to discipline your children because they're not listening? They do something wrong, but and then when you try to correct them, they act like they're deaf. I don't, you know, or, or you correct them by something, you know they did. I, I, I don't, they, they act, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, of course you know what I'm talking about. But 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Paul is talking about someone that needs to be disciplined in the church. He said, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to allow, I'm praying that the enemy will corral him back in to safety, that he'll realize it's not good out there, it's good in here. It's not good out here on my own, doing my own thing. If you say, I don't want things God's way, I want things my way, he'll let you have it. If you say, I'm not going to do this God's way, I'm going to do this my way, you'll get it. You'll get it all that you can take. See, there are, here's where we struggle. There are only two ways. God's way and the devil's way. If you're not doing it God's way, you may think you're doing it your way, but your way is the way of rebellion, and rebellion is the devil's way. There's only two ways. You either do it God's way or the devil's way. Either, either you're, you're on God's side or the enemy's side. He said, you got to choose. There's, there's not multiple sides here. It's not well, what I think and what you think and what she thinks, what we think, what the media thinks, what the world thinks. It's not all of that. 
It's what God says and what the enemy says. And if you're not on God's side, you're on the enemy's side. So if you rebel against God, you have chosen the path of the enemy. And let me tell you what the path of the enemy looks like. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they might have life and have it in full. So what is happening here? What's happening with Saul? Saul is rebelling against God. He said no to the direction, the insight, the leading of the Spirit of God. He has resisted God. He chose his way over God's way, and God says, okay, you got it. You're getting what you say you want. And you really don't want what you want. So because of this, verse 15, Now Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is skillful player on the harp. And it shall come about that when the evil spirit of God is on you, that he will play the harp with his hand, and you will be well. I didn't know that harps were all that powerful in healing, but that's what they said. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. (laughs) Because someone who can't play well is only going to make you sicker. Uh, Then one of the young men answered and said, behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man on top of that. And the Lord is with him. So it's six things. Five plus one. Six things that he says. He says he's a skillful musician. If you want to, these are things that will prepare you in life to move to the next level. Are you at a place that you want to move up to the next level? Uh, then these are the things. One is that a skillful musician, or he was skillful. They say that it takes 10,000 hours to be proficient in a skill. That's like an hour a day for 10 years or something. It takes an hour a day for 10 years to be proficient in a skill. If you want to play the guitar, if you want to play any instrument, if you want whatever you want to do, if that, that it takes that kind of commitment, at least that kind of a commitment, a master a language, uh, all kinds of things, to be a, a skilled person. Proverbs 18, 16 says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Proverbs 22, 29, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Excellence will always be noticed. Excellence opens doors. You should always do your very best. Here's what Colossians says. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human, human masters. You know, I hear, I've heard for years and years different things. People, you talk about, well, well, what do you think about this job? Well, I hate this job and I'm not doing a good job. Why? Because they're not paying me enough. You don't realize who you're working for. You're working for the Lord. It doesn't matter what they're paying you. As a matter of fact, what everything you do, you should do with excellence. If you come and volunteer at church, you should do it with excellence. Do it in a way that honors God. You should do it as unto the Lord. 
if we do things with excellence, it opens doors of opportunity so we can move to the next level. Second, he was a mighty man of valor. A mighty man of valor, which is to say he was a mighty man. He was, he was a strong man, of, and valor is also courage, bravery, integrity, conduct. So it was like he was a strong man of strength. He was strong in strengths. He was strong in character, integrity, courage, bravery. Maybe the story of the lion and the bear had gotten out. You know, that this, is, this little you know, 15-year-old shepherd boy had killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. Not with his, with his hands. Killed a bear with his bare hands. That seems, <laughs> I just never thought of that before. Okay. Number three, he was a warrior. He was a warrior. A warrior, someone who recognized that we're in a fight with a real enemy. Do you realize that we're, every day is a fight? We don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. In other words, we're in a war. <laughs> if you don't pray, you don't realize you're in a war. The main weapon of our warfare is prayer. And if you're not praying, you don't understand that you're in a war. So one of the things, a warrior is someone who recognizes that we're in a fight. So if we're in a fight, we need to prepare for the fight. We need to understand who we're fighting and how to fight. First Chronicles 12, 8 says, And from the Gedites there came over to David in the stronghold in the wilderness. This is later on when David's running from Saul. Mighty men of valor. Men trained for war who could handle shield and spear whose faces were like the faces of lions. I don't know what that means. And they were as swift as the gazelles on the mountains. It's like they never smiled. When they looked at you, you were afraid of them. I don't know. These, these, are, these are men who, who could fight. They could, you know, being a war, warrior is about preparation. So they, they recruit these kids, you know, and you, you see it. You, you, you take a kid out of high school, he's 18 years old, and, uh, and they take him to Marine boot camp or Army boot camp or something, and they just uh, beat him up. They, uh, they make them do stuff that they don't think they can do. They break them down. They build them back up. You go see those boys six months later, what's happened? They're men. They've been trained for battle. They've lost some innocence. They've gained some muscle. They've learned some respect. They've learned to keep their mouth shut. They've been trained for, trained for battle. So we're in the midst of a battle. Sometimes we don't realize we're in the midst of a battle. We don't realize that we have to prepare ourselves. So those young men are prepared for battle. And if you're a soldier, you continue in training the, the, the time you're in. If you're a police officer, police officer has to go to the range and keep practicing so that he can shoot under pressure because it's very difficult to fire a weapon under adverse conditions and be accurate. So they have to, they don't just get in the police force and stop. They have to continually train and be proficient. And so we need to continually be proficient in our knowledge of the word of God. We need to be continually proficient in, in praying and trusting God, learning how to pray. You know, people say, you know, how do we pray? The best way to learn how to pray is to pray. You don't need three steps. You need to start. So 
he was a warrior. And so this is recognized. This is someone who's ready. Someone who's ready. A warrior is ready. You want to move up in your job? Be ready for the next level. You, gotta be, you, can't, you can't just be good at here. You got to be ready for the next level. So that, you know, if they move you, you're not like, ah, what do I do? So you're, you prepare yourself for the next step. Number four, prudent in speech. Boy, this has so many implications for us today. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. Proverbs 17, 28. When he closes his lips, he's counted prudent. <laughs> so this is saying one of the secrets of appearing wise is to keep your mouth shut. Right? The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, some of you have salty language. I don't think that's what it means. <laughs> Does it? No. What, is, what does the Bible talk about when it talks about salt? It talks about being tasty. So there's a couple of things it's saying. Let your, let your speech be full of grace. In other words, grace is favor. You're giving people favor. Seasoned with salt so that it's also flavorful. And it's also timely that it will, it will be the right answer so that you'll know how to answer everyone. I think, I, you know, and so this applies to so many areas. Let's, let's apply this then about prudent in speech. Let's apply prudent in speech to Facebook. Amen. Let's apply prudent in speech to Twitter. And Instagram and what else? There's just, it's just multiplying all the time. You know, there's just something happening all the time. So... So we need to apply that because guess what? Now they're going to look back and see something you said five years ago and say, hey, we're not going to hire you because five years ago you said this about immigrants. I was reading this morning about a lady five years ago. She's a Christian lady. And five years ago in England, she said on her Twitter feed, she put the Bible verse about homosexuality on her Twitter. She put the Bible verse and they are now, she had been cast as the lead for the color purple on the, on the stage. And when they, they dug up her five-year-old Twitter feed and they fired her for being a Christian. So she didn't, she wasn't vile or mean or wrong. And she's had a lot of support from people in the LGBTQ question mark community. Uh, so, but I'm just saying, you need to be careful. Because, you know, when I was growing up, they can't remember what I did wrong. There's no record of it. But now it is recorded. You better watch what you say. Be prudent in speech. 
And let me tell you, can I just throw this out there? Can I give you a word of wisdom? Don't fight on Facebook. Don't correct your husband on Facebook. Facebook is not a good place for marriage counseling. Just be careful. You know, it's just, you know, post, look what, look at the fun we're having. Because even that, you can post stuff that's fun and somebody will react. Well, what were you doing that for? It's like, okay, I'm sorry we were having fun and we weren't being spiritual enough. But while we were doing it, we said the name of Jesus several times. I hope you're okay with that. Okay. So, prudent in speech. In other words, not being able to control your tongue will hold you back. You need to understand that. Handsome in appearance. He was handsome. Now, we know that appearance doesn't matter to God, right? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees. God doesn't care how you look, but man does. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So they're saying, hey, this man's handsome. So what do we do? Well, there's a couple of things you can do when you show up for a job interview or for a situation. How about clean? Your body's clean. Doesn't stink. Your teeth are clean. You don't have to have new clothes, but you can have clean clothes. Right? Pressed. If it's something that needs to be pressed. Pressed. Your shoes clean. <laughs> One of the great events in parenting is that. Is Lauren in here? Where's Lauren? may have heard you. I've already said this, but you've, you've heard this. This is one of the great things. You know, she's three, four or five years old. I don't know how, how old was she. Anyway, we saw somebody that was visit, had visited the church, and they were at a place where you could see under the stall, they were trying on clothes, and when they came out, it was this person that later did, they, this, they didn't give up because of this, and, and Lauren said, you know, your kids are going to say these kind of things. Get ready. Lauren said, oh, I knew it was you because of your dirty tennis shoes. <laughs> don't be able to be defined by your dirty tennis shoes how about a resume if you have a resume uh, we were looking for children's pastor and youth pastor back a while back got a lot of resumes and one thing that's interesting is that if you send out a resume if you can't spell take it to somebody who can if you don't know how to, if you struggle, hey, not everybody can spell, and some some of us struggle. And and we and and when you're reading your own stuff, I know I made a grammatical, I made a spelling error in the e bulletin this week. Because sometimes when you're you're proofreading your own stuff, you read it the way you thought you meant it. You don't you don't catch it. So Tina is, I didn't let Tina proofread it. And I should have because she catches everything. She's great at that. Uh, at finding my mistakes. Uh, <laughs> She's had years and years of practice. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and don't lie because you'll get caught later. Be on time. And here, let me say this. Don't talk bad about your previous employment. 
Because if you talk bad about them, and especially don't talk bad about your current employment to the people you work with, that's not a good Christian testimony. Don't talk bad about your, about your place of business. They're, they're paying you. Be thankful for that. If you have a complaint, you know where you should take your complaints? To God. But it's not saying that you can't have complaints. You can't take complaints to the right people that have things that really need to be dealt with. But I, you know, there are situations that need to be faced. I'm not saying that. You go to your supervisors and talk about things that need to be changed. You don't try to create problems by talking about with other people in the office. That's just not how you solve problems. You just make problems greater. We think we do. So, but someone who will talk bad about the last place they went to is going to talk bad about this place. Because guess what? Every place is full of people. And people are imperfect. So everywhere there's people. If you went to a church and you didn't like that church because they had some people that were bad, guess what? Those same people are going to show up here. There are imperfect people in every church. So the same things that happen, that's not, so just be careful what you say. Don't talk about previous places. He said, and the Lord was with him. It was evident, it was evident that the Lord was with him. Is it evident that the Lord is with you? I'm not talking about you have to walk around being religious and spouting out prayers real loud. Thank you, Jesus. Well, glory to God. You know, that's just obnoxious. That doesn't help anybody. And, and don't. Can I throw this about Facebook? I say this every now and then. Don't put Facebook posts that say, if, if you like this, you love Jesus. And if you don't like it, you're going to hell. Don't do that. Because if you do that, you're going to hell. You know that. It's just, you know. So the Lord was with him. It was evident. What was evident? Now they observed in Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Think about this. They said, we know that they're uneducated and untrained, but they've been with Jesus. Is that recognizable about you that you've been with Jesus? This one's been hanging out with Jesus. There's something about the character. This person doesn't know everything, but they've been with Jesus. It's evident. Is it evident that you've been with Jesus? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Or just so just in the way we live, we live in such a way that people say, we live in such a way that people say, what is it about you? You can live in a way with your speech and your attitude in the midst of difficulty and controversy at work and problems at work. You can live in such a way Without having to go around saying, well, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, we're in church that say, if you don't love Jesus, you're going to hell. You know, you can do that, but you can live in such a way that, that God will then eventually cause you to have a witness where people will ask you, hey, what's up with you? 
What's going on? What's going on with you? Everybody else in here is going crazy, but you're not. What's going on? Seems like you've got peace. Oh, I know you're having some problems at home, but you seem you still have peace. What's going on? And then you get to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lieth within you because they're ready to hear it. Your life opens the door, not because you're perfect, but because they recognize that you've put Christ, that Christ is in your life. And, you're, and when you mess up, you say, hey, that was the wrong attitude. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Your humility and the way you live with joy and peace becomes evident. So then, verse 19, living with the king of crazy. I have one minute to finish this up, okay? So Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the flock. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David, his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him and Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David now stand before me for he's found favor in my sight. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well and the evil spirit would depart from him. So why is David here? Why does, David, why does God have David in the house of a crazy king? It's obviously, it's not for Saul. Saul has rejected the will and purposes of God. He's not there for Saul. He's there for David. God has David in, in a crazy place for David. Because sometimes when you get to where you think you want to be, it's not what you thought it was going to be. Sometimes the king's house is not what you thought it was going to be. So what, what's God doing in David's life? Sometimes God puts us in a learning place. A chance to observe and grow in a time of increasing responsibility. Sometimes we're learning to take direction and show up on time and be accountable. Sometimes it's a maturing place where God is developing character within us, like Joseph in Potiphar's house. Then in prison, he was serving in a bad place without grumbling. Sometimes we're in a waiting place. God puts us in the... So David's been anointed king. David knows. Now, nobody else in the king's household knows this, but David knows, hey, I'm supposed to take his job at some point in time. So David knows that he's there to learn how to be a king. He doesn't know. He knows how to shepherd sheep. He doesn't know how to be a king. So he's there to learn and wait for God's timing. Sometimes we're in an uncomfortable place surrounded by angry, moody people. You got a job that you're surrounded by angry, moody people? Sometimes God just lets us see a close-up view of the road to destruction so that we will avoid that road. See, David didn't mess up. He did fail miserably and sinned. When he did, he really, really repented and turned from it. He turned back from it. He didn't just try to cover it up. Sometimes God wants to see how things shouldn't be done. I worked for a great guy. I loved this guy. He was a great guy. And he helped me so much. He taught me so many things about the ministry. But he also told me some, taught me some things not to do. 
so that when I, when I became a pastor, there were some things that I said, I love this and I love this and he helped me so much in this, but I'm not going to do this because I don't feel like that was right. He was a great guy. He, he was a wonderful, wonderful guy. But he was a little evangelistic in his numbers. If we had 400, we had 500. If we had 300, we had 450. He just always wanted to be more than it was. And this wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't something, it was, just a, it was just a struggle in his own heart. We all struggle with this. We're all struggling with acceptance and wanting to please people and wanting to be successful. We all struggle with all of that stuff. And that was the struggle that he had. And so it was just one of those things the Lord let me see. He was a great guy, but he struggled with that. He was a great guy and he had a struggle. And if you find somebody that doesn't have a struggle, you ought to go there. And keep your eyes closed to that place until you figure out what it is. But sometimes the Lord will put you in a place where you'll where you see things that you need to see, so you'll think, I, you know, that's an issue that I don't want to do that. You actually learn some some places you learn what to do, and some places you learn what not to do. Some places you like, you know, this. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to take all this gravy here and I'm going to spit out the bones. I'm, I'm, I realize there's some things I need to learn. Okay. So if, if this is not where you thought it would be, what do you do? What did David do? He sung, he sang, he had a song. You think that sounds too simple. In other words, he, David in the midst of this kind of difficulty would, he helped Saul but he also helped himself by turning his heart to God. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Be excellent where you are if you want the chance to be excellent where you want to be. Be excellent where you are if you want the chance to be excellent where you want to be. When I learned that my outer circumstances don't determine my inward condition, I can sing where I am. And if I can sing where I am, I'll most likely get to take the next step. So, if you are not where you want to be, but you want to be excellent where you are, if you want to learn what you need to learn where you are, sometimes if you'll learn what you'll need to learn where you are, you get to move on. But you keep having to make a lap around Mount Sinai because you're having to keep learning the same lesson over and over again. How many of you want to make an impact for the kingdom of God and you want people to be turned toward Jesus by the way you're living? How about that? So let's stand and pray. If you'll pardon me, I'm not going to stand.
Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us be excellent where we are so we, we can be excellent where you want us to be. Lord, help us right where we are. Help us to realize that we can improve our marriage and we can improve our work situation and we can improve our life by becoming humble and more dependent upon you. So Lord, before we ask that every situation in our life would change, we ask, Lord, that you would change us. Show us, as David prayed, Lord, show me if there is any wicked way in me. Show me, Lord. I want everybody else to change, and I want all kinds of situations to change. But Lord, what do I need to change? Lord, help me become what you want me to be so I can move to the next level and accomplish what you want me to accomplish for the glory and the kingdom of God. Lord, and we want to be a witness. We want our light to shine in such a way that, it, that people glorify God on account of us, that we live in such a way that people are drawn to the life and purpose and destiny of Jesus Christ. We want to live in such a way that people want to be like Jesus. And we're flawed and imperfect. Lord Jesus, help us. Shine to us. Let us be a light in a dark place. Let us be a, a city set on a hill that's drawing people to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.